is going through all types of physical and mental torture. But that's all right, because we said even before this happened, and we're going to say it after this, and after I'm locked up, and after everybody's locked up, that you can jail revolutionary, but you can't jail a revolution. Right. You might want to liberate like Eric Cleave out the country, but you can't run liberation out the country. You might murder a freedom fighter like Bobby Hutton, but you can't murder freedom fighting. And if you do, you'll come up with answers that don't answer explanations that don't explain. You'll come up with conclusions that don't conclude. And you'll come up with people that you thought should be acting like pigs, that's acting like people and moving on pigs. And that's what we've got to do. So we're going to see about Bobby, regardless of what these people think we should do. Because school is not important and work is not important. Nothing's more important than stopping fascism Ladies and gentlemen, this is So In The Meantime Podcast with yours truly. I am Chi, and this is episode two. And as you just heard, this is a powerful man that we were just hearing from, Honorable Chairman Fred Hampton. And for this episode, I have, like I said in the intro episode, I was going to bring along my cousin, Russ, who did agree to hop on and do this episode because we have a lot to get into with this particular person in the movie that it inspired Judas and the Black Messiah. So what's going on, cuz? Nothing much, man. I appreciate being on. This is this is some powerful stuff, man. It definitely yeah. is, man. And and like I said, I knew I wanted to get you on because you know, as as Saad said, you you have the Black Air Force One energy. <laughs> so, yeah. but also, I just you know, I've always been very big on your perspective on topics like this. I appreciate it. So, let's just jump right into it, man. Judas and the Black Messiah came out a week ago. Yeah, February twelfth. February twelfth. A week. You know. Um, came out on HBO Max, was in select theaters, you know, for those that was able to actually go to the theaters and see it. What what was your take on the movie when you first seen the trailer? Let's talk about before we actually watched the movie. What was your take when you seen the trailer? Um, I think we all kind of saw the trailer at the same time. It was floating amongst, you know, a couple people we know. We were all sending it back and forth, and I immediately, you know, felt the power and felt the impact. The Black Panther Party, the Black Panther organization, always seemed like the one that resonated with me the most when I look back in history during the civil rights era. You know, Malcolm sp spoke to me in a lot of ways. Martin spoke to me in a lot of ways. But um, as I've stated in previous pods and people who know me, I'm, I'm a man of action when I feel like I can do something in particular that, that can affect change, then that's when I'll do it. And when I saw it, I mean, I just, I was like everybody else. I was super excited. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. I was listening. I was definitely excited when I seen it. One of the things that caught my attention was who they casted as Fred Hampton. Cause a lot of people felt a way about it because, yeah. you know, Daniel Coulier is, dark skin and that's the first thing everybody jumped to was like how can you cast him to be fred hampton because he doesn't look like fred but then once you actually start hearing him speak yeah it took away that whole entire demeanor of it and then when you watch his performance he he really embodied the chairman yeah you definitely know? and then with the with lakeith stanfield playing William O'Neill, which I didn't know who William O'Neill was. You know, I had to do my I had to do my research because same here. You know, growing up, I didn't hear that much about the Black Panther Party. You know, mm -hmm. but I think I know why because my mother was inspired mm -hmm. to become one, and you know, she told me how her our grandparents. Their parents lived in Philly, mm. and she was going to travel there and spend the summer there and basically was going to go there just so she can join the party. That's and, deep. And my grandfather heard her 
have a conversation was like, yo ass ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I can understand why. So <clears throat> I, I pretty much feel like that's why, you know, because she didn't want, she didn't obviously want me to know about this at that time because probably knowing me, I probably would be like, well, let's, let's more, give me more detail about it. And then yeah. I probably would stray in the direction that she was trying to go into. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So, it's it's a as we get into this this pod, man. It's gonna be interesting because it's it's a couple of thoughts that I have. You know what I mean? So yeah, I definitely feel you though. Yeah, so I had to do the research, and when I seen who he was, and I watched his um, interview, mm-hmm. and in the beginning of the movie, it starts with his interview. You know, yeah. But what they did was is they made Lakeith. That first part was it was Lakeith, but then when you actually see the actual footage, it looked like <laughs> it's so crazy, it's uncanny, man. Right, so he resembles him so much. He does, and that that will go into a further converse, a deeper conversation that we'll have later on. But mm-hmm. just to see him as the Judas of yeah. of this whole equation. And when I watched it, I was just, I was blown away by it. And I was like, this is something that we need to see. And then for them to actually then turn around and put it on for for its release date to be in February, you know, right during Black History Month. Yep. And it was definitely needed. Like I said, you know, it's a story that a lot of people, try to stray away from i can tell you know yeah, even, they do. and even the media outlets like normally you know mm-hmm. a big movie like this you'll see them on the shows talking about it yeah. you know and they can't say like well you know because the pandemic because everybody who's being seen on shows now is via zoom you know mm-hmm. or whatever and it was just interesting because like we didn't see neither one of them on like a show, like a first take or undisputed, regardless of the situation, because exactly there's movies that have been promoted on those shows that have nothing to do with sports or anything, but especially with the climate that we're in right now, you would mm-hmm. think that you would put them on there. Yep. That's and, like something that people from our generation will notice too. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the casual thing that we can see that like, you know, people that may be a little older than us don't notice. And then, you know, the younger kids, they're doing their own thing. But that's a, that 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 press run is key in yes. a lot of things. Like you like you said, we'll be watching first take and it won't have anything to do with sports, but that person will be <laughs> up there promoting what it is. So I get yeah. it. So it was, it was very interesting to see, like, it, it's kind of like this movement is it's it's feared in yeah. in America mainly in white America mm-hmm. and this movie kind of gave a reason to it mm-hmm. you know like it started with them calling it it's a it's a terrorist it's the most dangerous threat on American soil even though we know what's the dangerous threat on American soil right so so we you know we talked about the the trailer and then you know now the movie's out and we both seen it so mm-hmm. what was your overall take on it because i know you made a stat about it on facebook addressing it and then mm-hmm. i actually did videos on it like stories about it so what was your take on judas and the black messiah I mean, my biggest overall take would be that um, it's a very emotional film to take in, you know, as a black man. You you can see that there's a burden that's put on us as men in general to protect, to provide, and try to progress things forward, you know? And so you can see that the party, there's a lot of conflict in what's going on because they're not just a civil rights organization, they're a political organization, which is a key term that he uses to see why, you know, our government was so adversarial in, you know, bringing them down at the time. So as you watch it, you're watching this man sacrifice so many things in his life for the good of the people. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the overarching theme. And as you see how, you know, the demise and the demise of others, you know, play out, 
it's just a lot to take in, man. It was just an, it was an emotional ride, but it was it was needed. It was purposeful. You know what I'm saying? And it spoke to it spoke to me personally. It spoke to my heart and like what I do. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, I was watching it and, you know, because, like I said, I wasn't really brought up on on them. I've heard about them. You know, I, I realized that a lot of our family, you know, was walking around with this kind of like with that attitude, but didn't was not a part of it. But if they could, they would. Right. You know, like my mother, I had the the photo that I posted for her birthday and she has her fro and it's mm-hmm. like the perfect fro and everything. But it's just I could you could tell that like she was she was she was gearing towards yeah towards that and you know watching the movie i sat back and as i'm watching it i would do like a little quick little research on fred hampton and and william and because all i knew mainly on the black panthers was huey yeah you know that's Mm -hmm. really when you when i thought of black panther or the black panther party that's who i thought initially of was Huey because he was one of the founders of it and I you know you you type up Black Panther you'll see the iconic picture of him in the chair you know so hearing about Fred Hampton Mm -hmm. he's the closest to this region right as the powerful like he is the Huey Newton of this Mm -hmm. of this side Mm -hmm. and to see like what got me was just how prophetic he was his his Definitely. words you know how he was able to bring people together yeah and push this agenda you know it wasn't just like you said it wasn't just a, a activist group right you know they were political exactly you know, they were trying to make the necessary changes within the community. Yep. Regardless you know, of color. Regardless. And that was something I didn't know. Exactly. You know? Because like like what you were saying, the Black Panthers with Huey P. Newton and everybody, that was like a West Coast Oakland thing. Like mm-hmm. that's when, when you would research the Black Panthers or see stuff. Even in the documentary, the uh, Black Panther Vanguard joint, it was centered around Oakland. And then they kind of mentioned, you know, with the movies climax was about or the basically the finale of the movie was about which was what happened in chicago but mm-hmm. you never really got the in inner workings of chicago and the things he did so yeah definitely yeah. i feel what you're saying yeah so like i didn't know because when i heard when i heard of black panther when i heard of the black panther party i solely thought it was just strictly like black like yeah. All black yeah. people. No no outsider was allowed then. But to see him go to the Patriots, the young mm-hmm. Patriots, and then go to the, the, the Puerto Ricans. Exactly. And bring them together. And when he announced that he was forming a rainbow coalition. Right. His agent like his purpose was to dethrone the oppressors right at 21 and that was the cra- he, <laughs> i was thinking about that like i was like he was doing all this movement talking the way he was talking between the ages of what 18 to 20 like to 20 he died yeah. at the age of 21 so he was you know yeah. doing all this at such a young age and so you think of all the sacrifices he had to make, all the sacrifices that 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 we didn't make as young men when we're eighteen and twenty one and we live in carefree and we got right. a lot of testosterone, you know, we're we're walking these streets in a different way. And this man is basically wise beyond his years, beyond. And that's what caught me, you know, when I looked that up and I seen that he was only twenty one. It just blew me away, because mm-hmm. you would have thought he was older. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, the way he went about, you know, his his assassination, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and this goes into William O'Neill. Right. You know, and how 
to this day, there's still a lot of William O'Neill's in the world. Yeah. You know, in various forms. Yes. Various forms. And to see them, to see how he was portrayed, you know, to Mm -hmm. see that he was just, he was a person that was lost. Like I was watching a video that was from last year where Mm -hmm. Lakeith was talking and he was saying how when he learned about who he was and learned his struggle and learned everything, it was like, he was like saying how it was more, you're willing to sacrifice the good of people to take care of yourself, you know, and you only are thinking of yourself. Yeah. And there's, That's crazy. and there's so many different, like you said, different likes of people that will do that. Mm-hmm. But because it was within us, it kind of continues to push that narrative of us being our own worst enemy. Right. You know, like we will betray one another to get ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of coming together and moving forward. And it's right. always at the hands of someone bigger, you know. Right. In in this case, it's always at the hands of the white man. Right. You know, and to see that he basically knew what he was doing in the mm-hmm. way the FBI agent was. You know, he, he was very cerebral with his with his attack on on William like he knew how exactly. to pull certain things from him mm-hmm. you know doing the thing like bringing him to the house yeah you know definitely. making him feel that comfort level but then showing him like yeah you can this is nothing you know like yeah. what I have is nothing you Damn can shame. you know you can have this type of thing but Damn you, shame. You just gotta work. You gotta work with me. Man, that's it's it's so hard, man. Cause like when I think about it too, it's like there's varying degrees within the storyline, whether you're talking about the movie or real life, mm-hmm. where he could have fallen on the sword and protected everybody or protected or gave people the heads up. You know what I mean? Yeah. As black people, man, once we bring bring people in as brothers, that's when we're our, our most vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters. Like when we when we love somebody that's our own people, those are the people who can get close to us. Yep. You know what I mean? If it was just, you know, a, a particular FBI agent trying to come directly at Fred, he would have never made it past the first two minutes of the story, made nope. it past the first two minutes of the movie. <laughs> it's it's another brother and a love for your brother mm-hmm. that can get you get you killed out here. Yeah. You know, in all forms, in all forms and fashion, whether you're talking about unfortunately gang violence, whether you're talking about, you know, lovers quarrels, anything like that, man. And it's a shame, man. It's a shame. Cause he has so many times where it could have just, you know, yeah, you might have came in there with the wrong intentions, right? But after listening to them, being around a party, seeing what they're doing, knowing that you don't have anything on them for real, some point in time, man, you gotta stop trying to preserve yourself and think about the people. And I think that's what he did at one point, like when they had the shootout, you know, seemed that way. It it did seem like he was kind of leaning towards like, damn, like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. You know, like there was the scene where, you know, he was he was trying to escape, but it mm-hmm. was also like he knew he had to do something, mm-hmm. you know, and then by him saying, like, I'm gonna go on the roof. He knew mm-hmm. by him going on the roof, it would distract them. Yeah, it, it feels that way. Mm-hmm. But he also was trying to find a way to escape that situation. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it, it was his, it was, you know, it really does pull, you know, it pulls people's hearts. And, and I understood that, you know. Yeah. And as my mother, she won't watch it, you know. I understand. And and she was saying, like, I just, I can't watch it because it, it pisses her off to see that pretty much this was the beginning of the demise of them. Right. You know, even though they are still, you know, they're still up and running, but it's mm-hmm. not the same. Right. You know, and a lot of people kind of, and this is what the FBI agent tried to do. He tried to compare 
the Panthers to the to the Klan. Right. And it's two different things. Exactly, you man. You know, like, mm-hmm. No, nah, I was just going to say just a note to that, man. Like like you said, with your mom not watching it, it, it makes perfect sense because when you live a, a, a certain thing, you yeah. know, no matter what people say, how they put it on the screen, how they try to, you know, tell the truth, glorify it or whatever, it never feels the same. It's never going to come off the same. You right. know what I mean? I'm, I, I imagine that when our kids and, you know, they're, they're adults and they're watching like something on 9-11 and they tell you about the day of 9-11 and we look at that, we're going to be like, man, that's not how I felt. That's not what it right. looked like. Like there's a, there's a certain, a certain level of truth that's just never going to be displayed no matter how authentic people try to make it. And I'm sure there's a lot of pain in that, the pain yeah. and the truth of the demise of the Black Panther. So I yeah. get it. So especially with like, with the way it even happened, you know, mm-hmm. how, he was, you know, chair, Chairman Fred Hampton was scheduled to go back to jail. Right. And the head of this coalition to remove the Black Panthers was like, mm-hmm. what happened when Huey went to jail? And all these other yeah. people, mm-hmm. they got bigger. They became bigger because of it. We exactly. need to eliminate him which is so so sad but you're right he was right unfortunately you know being honest with that whole cointel pro it mm-hmm. was a true assassination this wasn't just a killing of a man this wasn't stopping somebody because you felt you didn't like him like right. this was this was real this was a real movement and like i said besides just being part of the civil rights era they weren't really a civil rights organization. They were really trying to get into politics. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm not mistaken, Bobby Rush was a part of Congress or is a part of Congress. Like, you know, so there's, there's, that's how you make change. Yeah. And again, for that man to be 20, 21 years old and understanding that in order to attack this system, we have to become a part of this system. Mm-hmm. It's just super duper keen, super insightful he just had wisdom beyond his years, man. That's that's the only way I can really, you know, try to articulate it. Yeah, and then when you look at like where we are now and how thinking back to our like my personal opinion on, you know, certain people, for example, mm-hmm. when when Jay Z did the NFL deal. Yeah. You know, now kind of having what maybe two years of him Mm -hmm. doing the deal and now Mm -hmm. kind of just having a different perspective on it i can see now where he was going at with being in there because like you said you have to be in the system to make those changes exactly and now seeing especially in in our political world Mm -hmm. you know the way Everybody was so keen in on Georgia. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, the Democrats have kind of taken over, now mm-hmm. it's a matter of people being like, okay, well, now we can see, we can have our, the people that look kind of like us mm-hmm. come in and now they have the control to make the necessary changes that we may feel is needed. Right. But but see, that's and that's the thing. It's kind of like what we were talking about on the year and wrap up as well. Right. So Fred Hampton is living in a time of Democrats and Republicans, mm-hmm. but yet he's still trying to make a political organization, a political party of the Black Panthers, because he realizes that neither one of these parties are for us. Right. Are for the people. Yes. And the people aren't just black people. It's the people of a certain class. You know what I mean? The disenfranchised people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you got Black Lives Matter going up against a lot of these Trump supporters and they're really in the same economic class. Right. They're on two sides of the coin in so far as who they believe should support them. But they're really asking for the same thing. You know, these black people want jobs. These white people want jobs. These black people want an opportunity to buy houses. These white people want an opportunity to buy houses. It's the same thing, but they can't find a common ground because the powers that be have found a different way to divide them and they're doing it based upon skin color. Yes. You know, 
And, and so you got to step outside of that box when you look at politics, not take it personal and see it for what it really is. And that's where that wisdom came in. You know, you inside of a building, when you're going to see the Patriots when, when in the movie, when they're illustrating that Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred is going to see the Patriots and they're in there with their Confederate flags. And it's the two leaders that's getting both sides to calm down. You know, right. it's people in the Panthers that want to want to jump up and say something. Some Patriots looking at the Panthers funny. Fred's like, chill. The leader of the Patriots is like, chill. And the next thing you know, that unity at the uh, on the steps is a totally different situation, man. It's power in numbers. It is. And I remember that scene because I remember when one of the members of the Panthers had made a reference to the flag. And I don't know if it was the... The, the chairman of the Patriots or if it was someone in the crowd that said, you know, this flag is just a representative of it, it's for us to remember the South, mm. like remember who we are. And the member of the Panthers was like, when I see that flag, I see my uncle being hung. And deep chairman Fred says something. I'm not a hundred percent sure what he said, but he said something that resonated to where it was like both parties was feeling the same thing. Yep. And yep. for him to then walk around and start just talking and bringing everybody together. Yep. You know, it was it was like wow and then to see like you said like we talking about the, the Black Lives Matter movement and you know the the Trump supporters mm-hmm. and to see both sides you know like you said they both we we both want the same thing it's just it's different perspectives it's how yeah the 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 leaders are gearing us they hit you with both sides man one side is QAnon, another side is antifa one side is blm the other side are trump supporters and they hit you with these buzzwords and these phrases to divide you and if you could just step back and take the emotion out of it and look at these people that like what they're asking for Mm -hmm. it's the same thing both parties can't afford one bitcoin both parties can't get in that cryptocurrency game like that they can't get into that real estate game like that like the world is shifting in a different way and we're fighting each other yes you know what i mean and that's the biggest issue you know and and that's something that like as i was watching it i just kept thinking like can you imagine what would happen if we came together as right. chairman Fred was, was alluding to like, if we come together and unify and go mm-hmm. against the oppressors, depend no, no matter what skin tone color you is. Right. Because we're still in that same class. Mm-hmm. But if we form this, this coalition, the strength in numbers, like you said, that we would have, it would scare them. It would terrify them. And that's why they had to do what they did. You know, that's, and that's exactly what happens. And it's just, it's so crazy because like I'm taking a class right now and we we talk about like race and gender and class in the media, like in mm-hmm. the media. So it's like I'm learning so much about how the media kind of drives this this wedge in in us. Yeah, you know, to to yeah. continue to continue to push this narrative, to continue to keep us separated because mm-hmm. of the fear. Exactly. You know, and it the more I learn about it and you know, watch this movie and pretty sure I'm going to be learning more about it. It's just it baffles me. Yeah. You know, because I'm really sitting back just like, damn, like, why why are y'all afraid of having us come together to unite, you know? I think for one reason, and my professor even said this, it was to a degree of, like, because America was built on our backs. Right. So we are entitled to more than anybody else other than the Native Americans, Mm -hmm. you know? And he's like, 
white America fears that because they fear that we may treat them like they did us, if not worse. <clears throat> I can agree with that sentiment to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, when I really think about oppression in our country, man, I stopped thinking about color so much, right? I feel like capitalism has gotten to a point where it's it's ballooning, right? Like it's it's inflating more and more. And so in some ways, capitalism is terrific, right? But in other ways, capitalism is at its worst when it's affecting the health of the citizens, no matter what color you are, right? This country based upon money and agriculture and what they wanted to do, allow people to get obese and go from obese to morbidly obese to super morbidly obese. Mm. Like you go back when we were kids 30, 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, you know, you didn't see somebody running around here 600 pounds. Right. You know what I mean? Now you got a whole television show based upon that. That has to deal with big pharma wanting to produce things for medicine. Mm-hmm. That has to do with the agricultural community making it incentivized, incentivized to eat poorly as opposed to eat healthy. Like it's, it's cheaper to eat poorly. Yep. So it, it's, it's a lot of things that go on that affect everybody of all races. And the minute you start focusing on race, that's where the distraction comes in to me. So why I don't disagree with what he's saying it's kind of irrelevant in the standpoint of how you're going to make a change, right? Because if you think about it, when we were right after, um, right after segregation, like after desegregation, and we were starting to build our own empires, and we were getting land, and we had businesses and everything, yes, that plays, that's 100% correct, because mm-hmm. we were getting it cracking, you know what I mean? And so they had to start burning down cities and killing people and enacting Jim Crow laws to kind of try to regulate that fear that they had. But now I don't think it's so much of that. You have million dollar basketball players that run around, but if you make them become a part of the system, if you have them spending money on goods that don't affect their community and elevate their community, then it's nothing but a dream, right? Right. You know, it's not until they start putting back into these communities and building charter schools and feeding children that are hungry and, you know what I mean? Doing things that really matter. You know what I mean? That's when it, that's when those people become a threat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and you can solely see that happening. Like, you know, we, we have the LeBrons of the world. We have even, you know, before LeBron had his school, we had Jalen Rose with his school, you know, and Diddy. Diddy with his and, mm-hmm. you know, where we're seeing these things. And even if we date back, I mean, people know my stance. If you don't know my stance, I'm not a big Oprah fan. But, right. <laughs> you know, Oprah has, you know, a school out in Africa that's, you know, an all-girls school. Right. You know, so we've seen it, you know, and then we even see mm-hmm. it within in, in entertainment. You know, Tyler Perry has his studio you know, mm-hmm. that is on the grounds that slaves was, yeah. you know, traded and killed That's a and serious tortured story. and all that, you know. So yeah. to see this this change going on, it's, it's powerful and it's inspiring, you know, but it goes to show, like, what can happen when you bring those connections together. Right. You know, and it's just it sucks because there's always going to be that, you know. Unfortunately, there's going to be someone that's going to try to infiltrate that structure, definitely to bring it down. Yep, you I know, agree. Which you know goes back to the William O'Neill, you know, mm-hmm. and it goes back to just even if we go in a spiritual, you know, world. It's it's Judas, you know. Mm-hmm. Judas has been that way, and yeah. there, there was a scene in there that defined that, like defined the title, you mm-hmm. know. And that was when Chairman Hampton was giving his speech, the revolutionary speech, right? And William was standing there. And he was clapping and who happened to be in the crowd in the mm-hmm. midst of it, you know, it was the, it was the officer. Yep. And for anybody that has ever really watched anything in depiction of 
Jesus and Judas. Mm-hmm. There's always that scene where Judas and the devil meet mm-hmm. up, lock eyes, and it's like, you know what you have to do. Like, right. this is what it is. And to see that kind of portray on yeah. the on the big screen in this form was it was powerful definitely you know and when i seen that that's immediately what i thought of i said this is this is Mm -hmm. this title yeah you know right you're right it was um mm -hmm. it was i felt the same way man i mean i I, you can tell in that moment it almost looked like william o'neill was ready to say forget it all almost like you know not to get religious, you know, anybody, but it's no different than when you see somebody in a church and, you know, they seem like they're one of the worst people and they, that's that time where they're ready to get saved. Mm-hmm. It was like his, I'm about to get saved moment. Like these words are resonating with my heart. Yes. And no sooner than that, the FBI agent ain't doing nothing in there but clapping and locking eyes like, yep, the devil is here to motivate you <laughs> just when you thought you were going <laughs> to yeah. be free. Nah. <laughs> and and it's so it's so crazy when I seen that because like you said it is that moment you know mm-hmm. and it's very much even even when you think about it later on because you know I'm trying to remember if like in the Bible if Judas did actually kill himself or was he killed you know I'm. Yo, for real, I don't even really pay attention to the after part of that story because that's that's indeed when everybody came to get Jesus to, you know, put him on the cross, man. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I this is sad, but I almost <laughs> want to say, didn't they put Judas on the cross too? Like, I, I feel like, wait, man, I don't want to go down this rabbit right, hole, but I, I feel I don't, like it was multiple people. I don't like want to wasn't go, just Jesus mm-hmm. put on the cross that time, but that could just be a movie that I saw. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I, like you said, I don't want to go down that hole either, you know, but I do want to I do believe that Judas did do Judas did kill himself. He ain't come out scot free. (laughs) Right. You know, and to see that. To see William O'Neill's character, you know, later on, we find out that he, you know, went and committed suicide the same day as his interview was aired. But to know that after, even after the assassination, even after he drew out the the floor, the floor plan, the blueprint of his mm-hmm. apartment, he still was involved with yeah. the Black Panther movement. It wasn't just a one-off, okay, once he's done, he's gone. Like, William's gone. No, he was still in there. And that's what tricked me up, man. I had a conversation uh, with my aunt, your cousin, mm-hmm. about William O'Neill. Lakeith played this role so well that it almost made me feel like he was just a lost dude that couldn't find his way and kept digging dig- deeper and deeper. And it wasn't until I did some post-movie research where I was watching an interview that both you and I you know, uh, watched. Mm-hmm. And he made a quick quick reference to him being the trigger man in a drive-by um that got some other people convicted to let me know i can't look at that man like that he was nothing but evil to me after that you know what i'm saying because it's like if you're sitting up there and you're gonna commit a crime only to put other people in because this is what you do you're gone at this point right you know what i'm saying and side note i googled it man it's crazy judas hung himself I think he tried to collect on like some silver or something mm-hmm. and they were like nah you betrayed jesus and then he committed suicide crazy and it's see and <clears throat> it's crazy because that's kind of yeah what happened with with yeah. william i mean not not that he tried to you know capitalize or something like that because he actually did make you know they said at the end of the movie well over two hundred thousand dollars exactly. you know that he was gaining from being this informant but Mm -hmm. it was not until that interview came out Mm -hmm. where he revealed that he was this informant and he realized he couldn't walk on the streets anymore no no and and he decided you know if anybody who doesn't know the story he was 
with his uncle, I believe, in the truck, got out the truck and ran on the expressway and yeah. went head up with the vehicle and crazy man. You know, that's that. It's crazy. So we 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 talked about this this movie, but there's parts of this movie, not not just parts, there's the interview that you were talking about for one, but then we had the Daniel Coulier interview mm-hmm. in which he's mentioned about getting therapy mm-hmm. because of playing this these this role. Yeah. And when me and you talked, you had mentioned like you felt like Lakeith probably would need to seek therapy as well. Definitely. You know, and then when during Daniel's interview on Breakfast Club, they were talking and he's bringing up how he was just learning and getting so entrenched in the character. Mm-hmm. And Angela Angela Yee was like, you know, isn't that called method acting? And he was like, you know, no, because method acting is when you actually embody mm-hmm. Get that get fully entrenched into that character. Like call me that person yes. while I'm while I'm doing anything in real life. Right, and that's what he had said. He was like, you know, if I'm like if I was method acting right now, I would tell you address me as Chairman Fred. Exactly. So the true definition of method acting is a technique of acting in which an actor aspires to complete emotional identification with a part. Based on the system evolved by Stanislavski and brought into prominence in the U.S. in the 1930s. Mm, okay. Okay. One of the most iconic people to really do method acting was Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. You know, he did mm-hmm. that with The Joker, right. which was the movie that, untim- that unfortunately he took his life post yeah. that movie. You know, mm-hmm. you see other actors like another person who played two other people who played Joker. You know, you've seen Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. get so entrenched in that character that he lost, I think it was like 20 pounds mm-hmm. leading up to that movie so he can just get that skinny and portray this illness of him. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Lieto, when he was doing Suicide Squad, I have the movie, so I have the bonus features. And when they were talking about it, they were saying, and Will Smith was saying, like, when he was on set, you couldn't call him yeah. Jared. You had to call him Mr. J or call him Joker. He would not respond to anything other than that. Yeah. It also, was playing practical jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it also goes into even, like, when when certain, when police, when they go on the cover, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when it goes to that movie in too deep, with LL right. and right. you know was it Makai or Omar? Omar. Okay. And when Omar was the cop and Omar was, you know, seeking that therapy because mm-hmm. he got so entrenched in that character and with that that he had to kind of get off the grid and kind of recenter himself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, with Lakeith playing this character, not only playing the character, but like looking like him, mm-hmm. how much is how much would that play with his mental? Right. You know, how much would that play with his psyche and and things like that? Like I know Daniel said, you know, he might have to do some therapy for it too, but I know for mm-hmm. a fact that Lakeith will have to do the same thing, especially when you have people like, you know, a Charlemagne saying what he said, like he felt like this role fit him personally because that's how he views him. Right. You know, and it's kind of like one of those. It's trash. Yeah. It's trash. You can't write books about, you know, self-help and black privilege and stuff like that and still constantly tear down men over personal vendettas or personal beefs that really shouldn't be as big as they are. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was a, that was a big stab at Lakeith. Uh, I thought that was foul. Yeah. But, um, 
But what do you think as far as the whole method acting and um to talk about what Daniel specifically was saying, um, just to give some detail, you know, him saying that he would, you know, wake up in the morning and smoke cigarettes and do other things and change his speech pattern and make sure that he embodied the cadence. I think one of the biggest things was um he had to live as a different person. Mm-hmm. Um just on a personal level and not to get like hella deep or anything, his birthday and my birthday are like a day apart in real life. You know what I mean? So I consider myself to be a very observant person. Um, listening to his interviews, I find him to be very observant as well. Um, and I think a lot of that wasn't necessarily method acting to the term of the definition of method acting but it embodied a lot of the qualities that you have to take on as a method actor. I'm sure in his sleep, he was thinking about Chairman Fred and the Chairman Fred character and things Chairman Fred said. And emotionally, that stuff probably spoke to him as a person. Yeah, You know what I mean? So it's probably way deeper than, you know, what we can imagine or what we can articulate because that actually becomes a part of you. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same fear that I have for Lakeith is not that he's a foul person, but in in, in looking like William O'Neill in such a crazy way and being able to play that part the way he played it, um, it's a dramatization and he did justice by telling this story, but there's certain things that he had to hold on his spirit that ridicule from the outside world just makes it worse. You know what I mean? Not only are the people that that like Charlemagne who may have said something it's people that probably comment on the internet when he's looking at a review of how good this movie is that people are saying instead of saying William O'Neill was a sucker they'd be like man Lakeith man you a hoe for that or something of that nature right like those are things that he has to take on as a man that again like I said when I first saw the movie man I was mad at the character of William O'Neill, but I'm looking at the face of Lakeith Stanfield and there's a separation that you have to make before you even say anything. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so we owe it to that man to, to make sure that we also give him his flowers for doing such a great job and portraying that, but also understanding and reinforcing that brother, we know that wasn't you playing that. That's not you who did that. Yeah. You didn't kill chairman Fred. Yeah. So it's tough, man. It really is, and and like I think back, I think of like all the other movies that have came out that people have played a role of like, of like a Judas, of mm-hmm. someone that infiltrated a, a organization or infiltrated like someone's life, and befriended them, just to mm-hmm. set them up for failure, for death, for whatever, and how you like you said you you have to separate the two. You have yeah. to be able to say that he's not this character. He's just mm-hmm. portraying this. Exactly. And, you know, it will also go in a sense to show how great he is at what he did mm-hmm. that you can possibly say, like, yo, you played that role so so well that, like, I don't even, like, at that moment, I didn't like mm-hmm. you, you know, but I have to realize that it's not, you that I don't like it's the it's the character exactly I mean that's one big thing in acting that we all can attribute but it's one thing when you're playing a fictional villain right mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and there's a totally different story when you're playing someone real it's it's it's, it's tough man it's tough you yeah. know it's almost like even if you think about higher learning and you think about uh, Michael Rappaport playing Remy, even though that story is fictional, it felt so real. The things that he did in there, it's hard sometimes when you see Michael Rappaport outside of if you look at him a lot and understand what type of person he is. Mm-hmm. It's hard to separate that. It was definitely hard early. Oh, so yeah. I can only imagine what it is when you're a real character and a character that betrayed his own people at that. Yeah, and it was it was like I remember watching that movie not like early early last year, mm-hmm. and because it was on, it was like one of those movies that like you haven't seen in like forever. And I remember watching it again, and just when it first came out, I was young, I didn't know really, yeah, everything that was going on. But then when I sat back and I actually watched it fully and seen they're on this campus they yeah. met at this statue 
it's Columbus. It's all mm-hmm. these little hidden eggs, these these Easter eggs that were planted that mm-hmm. just reinforced the biggest message out of the out of this whole movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, like Michael Rappaport's character was definitely someone that you really despised. Yeah. You know, but you have to remember that that's just a character. But mm-hmm. at the same time, to kind of counter that with you, I would say there is a Remy walking. Oh, for sure. You know, so there, sure. there, there is going to be these characters that are here that's, you know, maybe fictional, but they are mm-hmm. walking amongst us. Mm-hmm. I only say that because of how immersed he is into black culture and into hip hop culture. Oh, yeah. That that had to be tough for him around the time that he played that role. Yeah, because I think that I mean? was one of his first big roles. Yeah, yeah. You know? So people are looking at you. You know, what I'm saying that I'm not trying to break this down to physical. Just being honest, he's such a pale man. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And you know, from everything that he did in that movie, which was horrific, you you look at it like, damn man, like is this dude really this way or is he just playing a role? And he's like, nah, man, I hoop with people. I grew up in New York. I love hip hop. Like, <laughs> and it's like, he has to sell this shit for the rest of his life just to get some love. So. Yeah. And it was, uh, listen, if you haven't watched Judas and the Black Messiah, you know, take some time out to actually watch it. You know, I think yeah. it's still going to be streaming until like March. Yep. March 14th. I'm going to watch it one more time before it leaves because I don't know what that window is going to be. Um, Wonder Woman 1984 came out on Christmas Day, right? Mm-hmm. And I think last week when Judas and the Black Messiah came out, that's when it was available to purchase. So we're looking at about a two-month window of not being able to see it unless we go to theaters. Yeah. So if it leaves in March, we might not get to see it again until May. So I'm going to watch it one more time just to have it fresh. Yeah, I was planning on doing that too. I was actually going to watch it before um, we actually got on here to record, but I told myself I couldn't watch it like before. Because <laughs> I thought the same thing. And I said, man, you know what? That's probably going to put me in a different mental space. Right, right. Because it definitely would have me sitting here on a whole yeah. another different wave, a whole yeah. different batch of energy, you know. But overall, man, listen, the, the movie was incredible. You know, I I would love to see more on the history. Yeah. You know, have they ever and I'm have they done a Huey Newton movie? The the biggest thing that I saw was um I think it came on PBS and I know you can rent it on like the Apple TV. Mm-hmm. So you could probably buy it on that or Amazon. Um it was like a two hour documentary. Um, I think it was called uh, the Black Panthers, the Vanguard or something like that. Oh, like God. if you Google the Vanguard and put Black Panthers with it, it'll come together. The whole title will come together. And um, it was very good. I mean, it talked about a lot of people that were instrumental, but I think they were talking about the overarching story of the party. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to stories of the particular people. You know oh, what I mean? Okay. And that's a, that's a big difference when you're talking about what the party did mm-hmm. and what they were doing and what those people went through and what they were doing. Because if you think about it, the actual main character of this movie wasn't Chairman Fred. Nope. It was William O'Neill. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we didn't even get a real piece of his life. We didn't get what led him up to become this revolutionary figure, which would be a beautiful movie in itself. It would be. So, yeah. It definitely would be. That would be something I would love to see. I would love to see like a yeah, just a soul like a movie solely on like his uprising. Yeah, um, yeah. See one on Huey Newton. See mm-hmm. a. Actually, I won't even say a movie. I will. Mm-hmm. I would like to see a series. Yeah, because the series be nice. would tell more, mm-hmm. you know, than than a movie. Because movies you'll have to leave certain things out, and then like you could do each season would be like a a, a moment. Yeah. in their lives, you know. And mm-hmm. I would just love to see like a full in-depth take on those people. Yeah. You know, because I, same here. Because it's one of those things that you know, I, I believe we we talked about on the year and wrap up like we didn't learn about this growing up. No. You know, we we heard little bits and pieces, but we didn't know like I didn't really know that the Panthers were 
given like free medical service, mm-hmm. you know, free free lunches, free bus rides, you know, doing all types of stuff for the community that mm-hmm. the government wasn't doing for us. Because when they talked about the Panthers, the first thing that they would mention is the violence. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was like, you if you really thought about the Panthers when we were coming up, they were rebels. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So if you identify with that rebel ideology, then that would have attracted you to them. But if you listen to Tupac and he talks about how his parents met as Panthers, and you listen to the messages in his music, you could clearly hear that the Panthers were about uplifting our people. Yes. You know what I mean? But not discluding anybody else you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying not excluding anybody else i should say that's the bigger message man and when you look at the 60s it's crazy how there was a, a serious attack from the government upon a lot of these civil rights activists to the point where people even lumped in the whole malcolm x thing and for years i thought that the government has something to do with the death of malcolm x but if you watch that series on netflix you'll find something else out so right it's crazy, man. It's it's like again, the the Panther story is a story that should be told. You know what I mean? And it we're gonna have to tell that story. Yes, because it's a part of it's part of <clears throat> American history. Right. You know, and and it needs to be told and it needs to be told in its totality. It can't be just, you know, yeah. as the media portrays it. You know, right. the media when you hear that, when you hear the Black Panthers, you you see the violence, mm-hmm. like you said. But there's more to it, yeah. You know, the the good outweighs and outshines the negative, Definitely. the violence that that was portrayed on here. Definitely, but that's a whole nother story because I'm actually learning about how the media puts these fears in the people right now. Like I literally just watched this whole show on it. Like okay. this professor really broke it down to. About it, you know, I'll, I'll actually send that information to you so you could, okay? Because I think it's something that you would like to watch. Yeah, I definitely check it out, man. I always have that battle with the media where I just try to look at everything and piece it together myself, man. And it's still mm-hmm. tough when you do that. It's still tough. Yeah, because everybody has their angle, man. Yeah, which is kind of why, like I, you know, in, in my intro, I kind of was speaking on how I want to change the narrative, you mm-hmm. know with with my company and and that's one of the things that I'm gonna push is to shed different light, not always have the negative side of things out there. Right. You know, so with that being said, you know, I thank you for being on this episode, second episode of this. Of I this appreciate journey. it. <laughs> I appreciate it cause this journey and, and like I said in the intro and the intro episode and I will forever continue as long as this is up and going. Um, I want to always end every episode on a, someone on a positive note. Um, this actually was a clip I found on YouTube. It was people trying to, these white people trying to prosecute chairman Fred and his reply to them, you know? So with that being said, um, this is So In The Meantime Podcast with yours truly, your main man, Chi. We'll be back with another episode. Um, till then, take care. Russ, once again, appreciate you for being on. Thank you for having me on. And for everybody else, man, to stay blessed and be safe out here. But the state's attorney and the state's attorney's office has reasons to see Fred Hampton in jail. We've got a new state's attorney, you see. And he said already what he thought about people that had different uh, political beliefs than he had. His speeches sound somewhat like those of Hitler. And we know why he wants to see Fred Hampton put in jail. Why do I have a lot of arrests because of harassment? Why is that harassment? Because the people that harassed me have set up a problem that made me disagree with them violently, and and they they set up this problem in order to exploit me and other people like me. And why they want to get rid of me because I'm saying something that might wake up some other exploited people and some other oppressed people, and if all these people ever get together, then these pigs that are exploiting us, we'll be able to run into the lake. That's why they want to get rid of us. And it's just, uh, it's sort of like a primary thing with me.
I'm the, I'm the first mover they'll make. I'm a part of an organization who'll be the first organization they'll move on because I happen to be a part of an organization, the Black Panther Party, that is the only organization, in fact, that has came out and stood up loud and clear and said that we don't care what anybody says, whether they have guns or not and badges or 18 uniforms, if whatever they step outside the bounds of legality into the bounds of illegality, then we'll blow their brains out if they're bothering the people.